0: Um, Let me pray for us and we'll have a look at these next uh, few verses in James chapter one together. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you love to speak. Thank you that we have your word in our hands and we can freely meet. And we pray that as we uh, think about these verses, um, we wouldn't just in one sense understand them better, but actually by your spirit you'd help us to live them. Um, So we pray that you would speak to us this morning as individuals and as a church. That we might better reflect the kind of people that you long for us to be uh, that we were created to be that we might better reflect the lord jesus uh, and in his name we pray amen so you are you're late you're sat in traffic maybe you're lost in a new ltn somewhere in east oxford and and you're frustrated and you bang your hands on the dashboard ah Maybe you're snappy and you're short with your housemate or your spouse or your child. You are impatient. You are unkind. You overreact to that little thing that they've done. Maybe you press send on the email and you kind of know you shouldn't have written it, but at least you could have slept on it to consider whether you press send. But that colleague had wound you up way too much and you just had to get it off your chest. And anyway, they they deserved it, didn't they? And in hindsight, maybe for all three of those little scenarios, those daily scenarios, we would love to have some kind of rewind device whereby you could replay the conversation with kinder words. You could replay your reaction with less hitting the car in a grump. But, But sadly, those rewind devices only really exist in science fiction. In one sense, they are simply the pressures of living in the now, in this world, the world around us, but in another, those external actions are a glimpse of what's going on inside us it's it's you and it's me isn't it through the week it's that way in which we are the bible would say we are in between the ages jesus has come we are found in him we are new creations and yet we are infinite unfinished we are still in these bodies in this place at this time still frustrated and disappointed still battling last week we were thinking about asking God for wisdom, for the wisdom that we need to change the perspective, to see the trials of many kinds as, as good even, or to consider them in that way, things, things even that the Lord might be able to use to mature us, the, the greenhouse in which we grow. But it is hard, isn't it? It's hard. The last couple of years and more have shown us that. So how do, we, how do we keep going when it's so hard? When it's a daily battle, maybe even, just to keep going? Well, zoom in with me in our passage for this morning on verse 12. It's the pivot verse, I think, that links last week to this week. And I think the whole section does hold together. Have a look at verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When it's really hard, when it's really harder, then we remember that this is not all there is. This is not it. One day the, the ultra-marathon will be finished. One day we can truly rest the world as it's meant to be. And yet until then, we need to talk briefly about tests and trials and temptations you see the word for test in verse 12 or indeed back in verse 2 from last week is the same word as tempt in verse 13 and verse 14 so James is not moving on to a new issue it's not like he's um, produced some words and thoughts and copy on trials and now he's doing the same on temptation it, it's simply I think it's this he's moved now from the outside to the inside the trials are what's going on outside us. His focus this week is how they're affecting us on the inside. And I take it the daily reality is this. Trials are a bit of a T-junction. You reach an either-or moment. They can push us one of two ways. Trials help us to, to keep growing, as we saw last week. We we turn to God in the midst of them, and we and we trust him, and we mature, even though it's hard. We consider that they might be Positive in some sense in maturing us to Christ likeness, moving us from our comfort to our conformity. But secondly, as well, trials reveal what's going on inside. Perhaps we get a bit too introspective, the temptation and the hardship, and, and they're like a mirror. They, they show us what we're like inside, and the mask just slips a bit. And I say so the verses this week are for the person who thinks that God is not trying to grow us. Now, he's not trying to grow us, but rather he's trying to to trip them up, to entice them. He's a kind of God who lays traps around the place. So verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Of course, the story of the Bible ever since Genesis 3, really, is that we have been in the business of pointing the finger elsewhere. It's, It's never our fault, is it? So Adam tries in the masterful move to to blame both Eve and God because he made Eve. This woman you put here with me, he says. I wonder if it's even more common now because society wrestles with whether humanity is is at root largely good but with a bit of bad in there. or, Or largely bad but with a bit of good in there. And you see, if we are largely good with a bit of bad, which I think is kind of the majority of you, at least in the West, then there's always a reason for our response. We're not culpable. You know how it goes. I'm sorry I got angry with you yesterday. I just didn't sleep very well last night. Or I've not eaten enough. Or I'm anxious about work at the moment. I've just got things got going on. I had a difficult conversation with a friend. My, my parents used to get angry with me. I had a teacher who just used to yell at me and I just found that that, that's affected me. You you just wind me up. You just press all my buttons. I can't help it. Excuses. I can keep them coming. They're well practised. Now, of course, we need to be careful. Those things can be a massive influence. Of course, our brains can get rewired in a sense. Neural pathways are laid down and we can react in particular ways through conditioning and Yeah, I think even with that in mind, as we'll see from James, they might be be reasons, but they're not excuses. Now, James wants us to see um, truth this morning. And it's the truth about two really important things. The first one, number one, see the horrible depths of your sin. Let's go back to verse 13 again. Verse 13, if you're tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Did you see it? That's not what it says. It's not if you're tempted, it's when. It's when you're tempted, not if. If you're, It's not if you're a bit of a lame Christian struggling to be faithful and struggling with life. No, no, James expects us, he expects you and me to experience temptation when you're tempted. Perhaps there'll be seasons of it and we'll be particularly aware of it, but be more concerning there'll be seasons when we're not so much aware of it when we're just going with the flow and we're just blending in and sleepwalking through life and not even noticing what we're doing and what we're not doing and <sighs> temptation will be with us friends we need need not be surprised about that but we need to understand it you see when tempted no one should say god is tempting me for god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone the Bible would say that nothing in God is drawn to or attracted by evil. He, he hates it. It can almost be the Adam-like knee-jerk reaction, though, to point the finger and to blame God for it. But, but you see, when difficult times become disobedience times, when, when suffering times become sinful times, friends, it's never God's fault. We can't say, he put me in this situation, he made me react in that way, he made me like this, it's God's fault, it's him, it's not me. No, 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 the Lord is never a tempter. And why do we struggle? Well, I take it we struggle because we're not finished yet. Do you know, I always think Oxford, um, the city of Oxford is a great metaphor for the Christian life in the sense that it's never quite finished You think it is and then you realise it's not. There's always a road closed somewhere, Longwall Street or wherever it is at the moment. There's always a crane that just kind of pops up overnight and you think, how did that get there? There's always some more scaffolding, there's always a diversion going on, there's always roads being dug up and it's frustrating. And, you know, if I'm honest, I would rather it just be finished with and you could drive from A to B or cycle from A to B and just be able to get there. Well, so in our Christian lives, there's always an unfinished sense. There's a now and a not yet. Even though there's already the new in me Christ joined to him, growing in him, then the old me is still there, battling and battling. And so it's not God who entices me. I can't point the finger there. That's, that's not what God is like. It's not God. It's my own evil desires, says James. Now, there's an illustration um, that's sometimes used uh, to help us understand this. I have in my hands here a bottle of water. A bottle of Sprite, it's not Sprite, it's water. I'm gonna squish it and what is gonna happen? It's gonna happen while water will come out. Oh. Hopefully no wires are ruined there. Um, why did water come out? Water came out in part because I squished it. But actually, more importantly, because there was already water inside it. If I had an empty bottle and I squished it, what would come out? Not water. And you see, this is really important. Hard times don't make me sin. Hard times make what is already inside me come out. Hard times reveal what I'm actually like. When we are squished, the stuff that comes out is already inside us. It's not the hard time that has put it there. It's another illustration, imagine you're 17, um, just 17, and you're learning to drive and you had all the books and all the online courses and you thought, wow, do you know what? I might just skip all that stuff and go straight to the driving test. They wouldn't let you do that, but imagine that you could do that. Imagine you knew it was coming, you had loads of opportunity to practise and to learn and, But how did it go on the day? You know, 25 major faults and a small road traffic accident behind you. And you see, the driving test was the occasion for the failure. But it was not the cause of the failure. It's easy to blame the test. It's easy to blame the trial. It's easy to blame our circumstances, but friends, they are not the cause of our sin. As one person put it, temptation would not be tempting if I were pure. I don't know how this pans out for you. We're all like it, we're all on the spectrum. I'm not just pointing the finger, I'm pointing it at myself as well. I, I think there's a type of person though, and it's a bit of a straw man, but maybe the Pharisee type person that Jesus encountered um, in the Gospels so often. And for whom, for them, it is never their fault. The finger is always pointed away from them, and they struggle to accept any kind of culpability when they get stuff wrong. Maybe you've worked with them, maybe you know them well, maybe you are them. They're often the kind of people who struggle to apologise. Often the kind of people who who struggle to take any responsibility for what they've done. And yet, look at verse 15. It really matters then then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown give birth to death and do you notice there you've got two births in verse 15 you've got firstly a, a birth from desire to sin and then secondly a birth from sin to death so the first one the birth from desire to sin it's the it's that desire inside that's nurtured and fed upon and cultivated in, in hearts and minds and then bit by bit it's acted upon and it's born. Something that sort of started on the inside and then grew and grew and ended up on the outside. It's the idea that it should be dismissed, but instead we just flirt around with it in our heads and our hearts for a bit and finally, well it's not so bad is it, and we give in. And look, it grows up. It doesn't stop where we want it to, but rather it it develops and becomes full grown. So this second birth, sin, gives birth to death. He reminds us of where sin ultimately ends up. It promises life. It promises life. But just as with the fruit back in the garden, ends up in death. So desire leads to sin and sin leads to death. This... This really matters, we, we can't just afford to minimise it, to ignore it. It's something we must wrestle with and deal with, we must pray through, and talk about. There's a story sometimes told of um, a hunter named Perembi. Uh, he's searching for a leopard to kill and leopard skins are worth many cows at the marketplace and a, and a leopard is found and it's successfully killed. It was a mother, a mother leopard, and its baby is nearby, a cute little, little leopard. Leopard cub. So Prembi takes this little baby home as a pet for his children, but the village chief says to Prembi, no, 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 little leopards become big leopards and big leopards kill. Of course, Prembi ignores the advice, saying that they will teach this leopard differently. This will be a different leopard. They bring it up on milk and other stuff and, and the leopard grows into an adult and it's and it's kind to the children until, until one day it licks a wound and it tastes blood. And then its true nature becomes clear and it, it kills the child and, and it slays Perembi too. And you see little leopards become big leopards and big leopards kill. Little sins grow and grow and grow inside us and end up devouring us. And we think they're fine and we think they're cute and we think it'll be okay, but it turns out it's not. I don't know what it is for you, I don't know what little sins are in danger of growing. The little things that you think may be acute and okay and you've got it under control and it'll all be fine and it's not going to affect you in that way and, and yet they end up taking on a life of their own. Maybe it's to do with other people. Maybe it's a kind of judgmentalism inside that, that you sort of nurture but it's growing and it's growing and you're kind of aware of that. Maybe it's stuff to do with money or possessions or the things that we seek to hoard and own and gather around us. Maybe it's the things that we watch or the things that we consume. And we think they're under control and it doesn't really matter that much and it's fine, thank you. And And yet you see little leopards become big leopards and big leopards kill. And James isn't wanting to sort of send us on a guilt trip here. He says this kind of stuff because he cares it's hard to hear though isn't it when we are confronted by the reality of what's going on inside strikes me it's rather like one of those um posh kind of backlit mirrors that you see sometimes in expensive hotels and suddenly you realize or at least i do that you've all these kind of blemishes and abnormalities on your face that you didn't really realize were there before and so sometimes chapters like this just show us what we're really like now we need to know. I think he concludes the section in verse 16. Um, our NIVs don't make it quite that clear, but verse 16, don't be deceived, my brothers, my dear brothers and sisters. Um, it's interesting in chapter one, James is really keen that we are not deceived right the way through. You get it in verse 16. Um, you get it perhaps more famously in verse 22 in being in being those who merely listen to the word. Do you remember? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And then again, deception comes up in verse 26. For those who don't keep a tight rein on their tongues. It's, it's self-deception, verse 16, that makes us so quick to blame God and so quick to excuse ourselves. And yet what he'll do for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of our verses for this morning, at least, will be to show us how good God is. So our second point then, see the beautiful goodness of God. See the beautiful goodness of God. Let me read again from verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. I've got three uh, three because for you as James expands upon what God is like. And the first ka is Creator. Number one, then Creator. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. There's this beautiful juxtaposition here. Our God, he says, is the Father of the heavenly lights. That's picturing him as the one who made it all, the Creator God, who's high and lofty and powerful and magnificent. We're, We're not just a big accident. The world is not simply a mistake or a fluke or a product of random biological chance. It's not meaningless, but we have, says James, Do you see, uh, we have a father who made it, who sits above us. So I wonder what is it that makes your heart quicken? Maybe it's the beauty of spring. As the flowers bring colour and leaves start to bud and the trees turn green again. Shades and shades and shades of beautiful green at the moment, if you look around. Maybe the extraordinary colours of a stunning sunset. Maybe stood on the beach. Maybe it's autumn for you. Browns and reds and pinks. And... Maybe it's a particular piece of music and it just captivates you. It captures your heart. Maybe it's the top of a Scottish mountain and the breathtaking views as you reach the summit and you see the locks and the hills and the heather and maybe it's the smile of the one that you love. Maybe it's the taste of dairy milk. And you see, do you see the world could have been grey and drab. And boring and yet he made it beautiful and he made it good he made it in such a way that our hearts quicken that we can appreciate beauty and the juxtaposition is he is the creator of all but he is generous with us he is powerful and yet he is personal he is transcendent and yet he is imminent he wonderfully takes an interest in you and in me Despite his majesty, our lives are not too small or, or too insequential for him. It's mind-blowing. And it's something that the, the Bible holds together right the way through. So first, Ka, He is creator. Second one, he is constant. who does not shift like, sorry, he does not change like shifting shadows. You see, He he made the heavenly lights above but unlike them he is not moving and he's not changeable but rather he is dependable and somebody that we can trust, we can look to, we can rely on. Maybe you've got the kind of friend or colleague and you're just not quite sure what you're going to get today and some days they are amazing and utterly reliable and a complete asset and you would want no one else in your corner at a hard time and some days they're just completely different almost a different person. You have to maybe tiptoe on eggshells around them, or you have to cover for them because they're so unreliable. They just seem to be off somewhere else. And each day it's a question, well, what kind of person are we going to get today? What kind of colleague is going to turn up this morning in work? God is not like that. James says he will always turn up for you. He is not forever shifting his stance. He is solid. He is reliable. He is dependable. He is trustworthy. He doesn't go through phases or fads. He is not fickle. Friends, there's no uncertainty in whether he's got us. We we can trust him. It's never going to be a surprise what kind of God turns up this morning. And where you might be struggling to trust him at this point in this season, well, know that you can trust him at this point and in this season. So first ka creator, second ka constant, my third ka sorry, he's kind. He's kind. Verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. It's another birth. It's another birth, again, not verse 15, the birth of desire to sin or the birth of sin to death. It's a new birth that that breaks the cycle through the word of the gospel, that we might be the first fruits, the promise of more to come. You and I as believers are new creations. Friends, God is not going to try and trip us up. He's not going to try and trip you up. He has rescued us. He has transformed us. He is kind. He he chose us himself. He has changed us by his word. And rather than it being a, a birth that leads to death, instead it's a birth that leads to life. It's a birth that's just the beginning of all that is to come. That's the kind of God he is. Friends, life is hard for many of us at the moment. But can I urge you, don't turn away from him. Don't blame him in the midst of the hardships. Don't say that he is tempting you or that it's his fault. No, no, turn to him and ask for his help. Use use this trial that you're going through to grow closer to him and that you might keep going in him. And, And as you turn to him and you ask him for help, know how amazing he is remember he is the creator who is generous he is the one who is constant and trustworthy and he is kind and generous he is gracious let's pray lord as we sense something perhaps afresh or reminded of the reality of our own sin the way in which so often we seek to blame you when things are hard We thank you for the reminder of what you're like. Thank you that you are creator and constant and kind. Persuade us afresh that you are good. Remind us of what you're like. And as we come to terms with um, our imperfections, uh, lack of conformity to Christ, we thank you that you are gracious and forgiving and patient. Thank you that, as we take the lord's Supper in a bit, we will uh, tangibly experience something of your kindness to us and your graciousness as we remember your the body of your son broken for us and his blood shed for us. Thank you that you're Generous and gracious, even for people like us. People unfinished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.